0: read an article out of Louisiana recently that told about a new church beginning. I suppose that's not great news, but this church was different. It was a church that was begun for men only, but not just for men only. It was a church for men who find church boring. A church for men only, but the men are men who uh, say that they find that church is boring. Uh, As you can imagine, this church was not traditional in any sense of the word. The church meets in a gym, and it meets only one Saturday evening per month. The preacher preaches standing in front of a scoreboard with the clock running, and he promises that he'll get the people out in less than an hour. What do you think about that? Well, I, I hope that you think the same thing that I think about that, and that is, that's pretty outrageous. Uh, it's not, but it's not surprising uh, that there are a number of religious leaders who are commending that sort of thing, that d- do whatever it takes to get people to come, do whatever it takes to make people be interested, uh, whatever it is, however you can, reach out to those people. We want to talk about that sort of thing in our lesson this morning. What about worship? And what about the idea that going to church is boring? And what should we do about that sort of thing? We'll talk about that in our lesson this morning. Thank you all for being here today. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, Appreciate your presence very much. We have visitors. We're grateful that you've come our way. We've come today to worship God, to honor and glorify Him. And we certainly hope and pray that He will be pleased with all that we do this day. But we also want all of us to be edified, encouraged, built up, strengthened, instructed in the ways of God, and we certainly hope that can happen too. If you have any questions about anything you see today, anything that you hear, by all means, let your questions be known. We'll try to give a Bible answer for what questions you might have about our service today. Thanks for being here. What about the idea that we should alter our worship practices in order to make them more appealing to men because men sometimes not just I'm saying men in the generic sense here people sometimes are just bored with church and so because of that we see some religious groups going to what they call uh, contemporary worship services and in these contemporary worship services what they have is some sort of a for better uh, probably accurate use of terms they have basically a rock band performing music to keep people entertained they have skits they have dramas where they act out bible stories um, they have hand clapping and cheering and shouting uh, they have praise teams that basically amount to quartets that uh pretty professional in the way that they sing their songs and perform entertainment for people who sit and watch. All of that is in the idea of making church more appealing to those who otherwise would be bored. Is being bored with church a new thing? Is that something that just happened here recently? People started being bored with worshiping God? I want to suggest to you that it is not new. And that in the text that Arthur read for us earlier uh, from Malachi chapter 1 and then running on into chapter 2, it was a problem in the day of Malachi that people were bored with worship. Notice you say, my, how tiresome it is, and you disdainfully sniff at it. The prophet there, speaking on behalf of God, was referencing their attitude toward worshiping Him. It's tiresome. Uh, and they disdainfully s- sniff at it. Well, uh, through the prophet... God, in this context, basically suggests two alternatives. If you feel that it's tiresome, we would say, if you're bored with it, here's two alternatives for you. The first alternative, he says, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. You know what the first alternative was? Just stay home. Just stay home. If that's going to be your attitude about it, if you're terribly bored and just can't handle it, then why don't you just stay home? Uh, If you are so bored and feel so negatively toward worship, don't even come. Don't even try to worship. And the fact of the matter is, the prophet says that God's not going to accept that kind of worship anyway. If you come and you have that attitude... It's not going to be acceptable worship anyway. You might as well just stay home. That's one alternative to the person who's so bored with church. But the preferable alternative is mentioned later. He says, take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts. That's the better option. Because that's, of course, the only ones who will please God are the ones who come to honor Him. Now, Two options are offered here. If you don't get anything out of the lesson this morning, I hope you'll come away with this. The people were bored. God says you might as well stay home if that's your attitude because I'm not going to accept it from you anyway. But what you really ought to do is you ought to come take it to heart and come and honor my name. Two options. Do you notice an option that is not mentioned that God didn't offer? God did not offer them. Well, let's change this up then. Let's modify the worship. If you find it so tiresome, let's get it, let's liven it up. Let's make it more to your liking. Let's make it so that you enjoy it more and then you'll come with a happy heart. That option wasn't offered. He told them two things. You can either just quit trying or you get your heart right and do it like I said and do it sincerely. He did not offer them the option of let's modify it so it's more like you want it to be. Now again, if you don't come away with anything else from our lesson this morning, I hope you get that. God does not offer us the option either of saying, well, let's change things. Uh, Let's make it more like we want. We said at the outset about that men's only church that meets in a gym once a month on Saturday night. Uh, That's pretty extreme, I will agree. But I want to tell you, there's all sorts of that stuff going on all throughout the denominational world. They're changing worship to make it more appealing to men. But I'm sad to say that some of our own brethren are not that far behind in that approach. If, if, it's not, if it's not what you like, let's do it different. Let's do it how you like. And that is never an option that God gave. The right approach is to get our hearts right, doing what God said the way He said to do it, doing it sincerely from the heart. And so then, what do we do? When church is boring, what do we do? What we don't do is change it, modify it, bring in things that are different, that that seem to appeal to men more. Because that's a very transitory thing, you know. Uh, what may appeal to men right now, ten years from now, that won't be what they really like. They'll want something different. If we start changing God's pattern for worship to suit men, we'll constantly be chasing after that because we'll never be able to keep men fully satisfied to their liking. And that's never been the right approach anyway. The right approach, what do we do when church is boring? Let's offer some suggestions. First of all, we need to prepare ourselves. Um, You know, anything that's really important, we prepare ourselves for that. If If you have some important event taking place in your life, you make preparations for it. And I want to suggest to you that here we are at the start of a new work, uh, a new week, and as we go through work and school and everything else that we're going to be doing this week, there's not a single thing that we'll be doing this week that is in, as important as what we are doing right here, right now, worshiping our God and Creator. And we need to see it that way, and therefore, since it is and should be such an important thing to us, We need to make preparation. We need to make worship a priority. When you view Sunday, Sunday morning, Bible class worship, Sunday night, Wednesday night Bible study for that matter, or when we have a gospel meeting and meet extra times, uh, a few times a year, how do you view that? How do you view worshiping God? Do you view it as, oh, well, I know I've got to. I know it's absolutely necessary, and and I'm going to do it, but I'll tell you there's a hundred other things I'd rather be doing. I'm just doing it because I have to. It's sort of just a dreaded obligation to me. Do you view it that way? Well, I want to tell you, if that's your view, you've got a problem that you need to work on right away. That's not the right approach. Instead, we need to see this as a cherished opportunity to come together to worship our God. And I really think how we view that, how we prioritize worship is an important part of our preparation to come and worship acceptably. Have you come here this morning just because you felt like you had to? Or have you come here this morning because you're rejoicing in the fact that you have a privilege to join together with God's people and offer praise and honor and glory to Him? Prepare your heart. Prioritize worship. The psalmist said in Psalm 122, verse 1, I was glad when they said to me, "Let us go into the house of the Lord." And that needs to be our attitude. We should rejoice. We should be happy uh, at such as this. You know, God has always expected uh, the very best from those who come to serve Him, and He's always insisted on being first. In the Old Testament, when the people came to offer their sacrifices, their their sacrifice was to be notice, of the first fruits. The first of the first fruits of Thy land shall bring shalt thou bring into the house of the Lord thy God. God has always expected that, demanded that, insisted on that. And if we're offering anything less than that in worship to Him, it's not going to get the job done. So, uh, prioritize worship. Be rested when you come. I'm fully aware of the fact that we are busy people. Our lives are busy. They're crammed full of all kinds of activities. There's lots of things we have to do. There's even more things that we like to do and we're busy and, and I, I'm afraid sometimes we let our other pursuits, our temporal pursuits, keep us so busy and so worn out and tired that we really can't even come to worship God in a rested frame of mind that allows us to worship with our whole hearts. I know and, and different ones of you have told me sometimes that uh, you're on medications or other things that cause you to be drowsy when you sit down and sit still for a few minutes. I understand that completely. And I'm not talking to you, but I do talk to some of us who come to worship, but we're so worn out when we come to worship, we can not keep our eyes open, uh, to worship God acceptably. Be rested. Get rest. Come with a rested body and mind, ready to worship, except that's part of the preparation process. If you stay up for the late, late show on Saturday night, don't be surprised if you're so sleepy on Sunday morning you can't stay awake, stay awake uh, during the worship service. Be on time. Be on time. What if you had a really important appointment? Uh, maybe, let's say that you've been looking for a job and a job opportunity has opened up and man, it's a good job. It's a good paying job. It has all the benefits a person could hope for. Uh, there's an opportunity for advancement. It's just ex- it is exactly what you've been looking for. It's the perfect job opportunity. And you have an interview for this tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock sharp. you going to be on time? I'll tell you, you're going to be on time because what do you know? You know if you were not on time, you would show disrespect for the person who's hiring you for that job. You wouldn't want to convey that message at all. You would be on time. You'd be early, right? Because you're not going to be late for something as important as that. Is that as important as this? It's not, is it? It's not as important as this. But so oftentimes, we don't have that same attitude about this. And so, we don't come. We're not on time. What if you just had a doctor for me? You know, there's some doctors that if you're... now. This always bugs me because I don't think the doctors care about our time very much, and so they often make us wait and wait and wait. But you don't make a doctor wait. If you're not there within a few minutes of your set appointment time, they'll often just insist that you reschedule because they're not going to wait on you. And so you don't be late to your doctor appointment. Don't be late to this. You know, when you're late to this, you miss out. Whatever part of the worship, or Bible study for that matter, that you miss out on, you just miss, right? If I come in ten minutes late, I've missed that first ten minutes. Usually that means I've missed a prayer, maybe missed a song or two. Sometimes we have people who come in and the sermon has already started. You've missed that much of the sermon. And so you miss out. But I'll tell you something else you missed out on. You missed out on being able to arrive peacefully and quietly, to greet other worshipers, to sit down and be ready and prepared to start into the worship. You've missed that. And I would just like to ask some who are perennially tardy to the worship, What would it be like? What would College View specifically be like if everyone pursued your practice of arriving late to worship? It would be unworkable, wouldn't it? Thankfully, we've got people who get here early, who unlock the doors and turn the lights on and get everything in preparation. Could you be one of those people? I'll tell you something else. When you're tardy, not only do you miss out, but you're a distraction to others when you come in late for worship. And so, uh, part of preparing ourselves for this most important activity is not only prioritizing it, but being rested and on time to engage in worship. Certainly, if we're going to have worship the right way, if if we're going to not be bored with worship, then we need to participate. Individually, personally participate in the worship. Did you know that worship is it, it can be a noun, but it also can be a verb. We worship god that's a verb, and verbs are what they're action words, so worshiping God means you're doing something i'm afraid that we are so used to watching you know uh, we we go and watch the ball game, we go and watch a movie, we go and watch a concert, we come to church and watch church no we're not spectators here you're not a spectator here none of us are spectators this is not a spectator event it's an action event and you are worshiping god therefore you have to participate and be active that would involve praying fervently in james chapter 5 verse 16 it says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much I really think that this is talking on the individual level here uh, about the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man. But I want to suggest to you that when we are worshiping together and when someone comes to lead us in in prayer, do you make that prayer your own? The man who's praying is we actually use the expression, no, he's leading us in prayer. Are you following? Do you make that prayer your own? We need to do that. I I think it's so easy to let your mind just wander and not even pay specific attention to what the man is saying who is leading us in prayer. He's leading. We need to follow. We need to pray fervently. Make that prayer our own. We need to sing enthusiastically. You know, I I think, and I don't know why this is necessarily the case, but I think probably more innovation has been brought into worship in regards to the music of worship than anything else through the ages, uh, but even in our time, and sadly even among some of our own brethren, and there's this inclination that we've got to change things up to make it more exciting so that people are not bored when they worship God in song. And I to tell you, I really think that that's the wrong approach. The The key is the heart. It, it is our heart in it? Now certainly the song leaders can and should do their very best job, but the real question of whether or not my singing in worship to God is acceptable to him is whether or not my heart is in it it's not the the beat of the song it's not the catchy melody it's not some trick uh, songwriting on the part of the songwriter it's whether or not my heart is right and you you, you can't change that by innovating and making things different it's about the heart in first Corinthians chapter 14 verse 15. It says, I will pray with the Spirit, I will pray with understanding also, which goes to our previous point. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. We need to engage enthusiastically in the singing of songs of praise to God and edification to one another. Sometimes, worshipers, you see worshipers who are not worshiping in song. They're not singing. Unless there's something wrong, maybe you've got laryngitis or something of that nature that keeps you from singing, you need to participate. This is not a spectator sport. We're not singing to entertain you. This is not for entertainment. Can I get that across to you? This is not entertainment. This is worship. And you need to be worshiping, singing enthusiastically. You need to listen intently. Here we're talking about when the preacher gets up to give his lesson. You need to be listening and listening carefully to what's said. Now, can preachers do better? Yes. And speaking on behalf of all of you men who uh, at various times preach lessons, we try to do our best. Could we do better? Sometimes we could do a whole lot better. Every time we could do somewhat better. We, we, and we need to try to do our very best. And people need to be able to follow along and understand and, and make sense of what we are saying. I remember hearing about a fellow who went to a church service and his friend knew that he had been and so the next day when they met he said, "What did the preacher preach about?" And and the fellow said, "I don't know. He didn't say." <laughs> that's a bad, that's a bad outcome, you know. If you can go away from the sermon and not know what the sermon was about, not even be able to convey the general principle of the sermon, that's a bad that's a bad thing. Uh, and and preachers have a a heavy burden there to make it the best that they can. But I'll tell you, a lot of the success of a given lesson uh, lies in the heart of the listener. And you need to listen intently. In the book of Nehemiah, we read about a a meeting that took place among the exiles who were returning from from captivity. You know, Judah had been carried away into Babylonian captivity. But Cyrus, king of Persia, sent those exiles back and uh, uh, under it, it took a while, but finally under Nehemiah, uh, they were able to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. Ezra, the priest and scribe, uh, was there to help them be stronger spiritually. And here in Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning verse 2, it tells about a meeting that took place. It says, And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. And the ears of the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. I think Ezra did his job well. Ezra presented the message in such a sense that they could understand it. But I especially want to draw your attention to the people. The people were attentive to what was being said. And we need to be that way as well. You can make the sermon better by your approach to simply listening to your part in the learning process as it takes place. Listen intently. Concentrate on the supper. I think this is a given. Uh, we certainly need, to, when we take the Lord's supper on the first day of the week, we need to do this sincerely. Again, though, I think here we see uh, an attempt to artificially try to make it more meaningful. And we don't have to do that. It's a very meaningful observance any time we do it. We don't have to do something innovative to make it more so. I remember once an elder in the church told me, he said, I think that every sermon every Sunday ought to be about the Lord's Supper. About 45 minutes. We should have about a 45-minute sermon every Sunday about the Lord's Supper. I told that elder, I said, well, if that's what's going to be done, you're going to have to find a different preacher than me because I can tell you all I know about the Lord's Supper in about one 45-minute sermon. Unless you want the same sermon every Sunday morning, you're going to have to find a different preacher because I can't come up with a new sermon about the Lord's Supper every Sunday morning. right? But... The, that's just this idea. We need to do something different, something more, something. Change it up. Make it more interesting. Again, I think we ought to do it the best we can, but a lot of it has to do with the heart of the worshiper. Uh, are you engaging in this in sincerity? Are, have you got your heart right? Now, that's this is really important. A very well-known text to us in 1 Corinthians 11 says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. We've pointed out before that this idea of observing unworthily means that we're not paying attention that we're not doing it from the heart, that we're not remembering Jesus when we observe the Lord's Supper. We need to concentrate on the Supper. Now, I want to stress, I don't think the Lord's Supper, although it is so very important, I don't think it's any more important than what we've already been talking about. It's an essential part of our first day of the week, worship to God. But it's no more so than the other things that we're commanded to do in worship to God either. It all, all of it, is important and requires us to participate from the heart. You need to plan your giving. You know, when it comes time to take up a collection on Sunday, sometimes what you see is people scrambling uh, in their purse or their wallet to find a, a few extra dollars that they can throw into the collection plate when it passes them by. What you're seeing there is, is an indication that people haven't planned their giving. We need to plan our giving you know, we're supposed to give sacrificially. We're supposed to give up of ourselves something in this matter. And if I haven't even thought about it, then I can't do that joyfully. Because you remember, in Second Corinthians chapter 9, beginning verse 6, um, Paul says this, I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so they him give not grudgingly or of necessity... For God loveth a cheerful giver. Well, it talks about planning, purposing in the heart, realize. But it also talks about being a cheerful giver. If I haven't really purposed in my heart, then I'm missing out on the ability to give cheerfully when that opportunity comes around. I need to plan my giving. Do you realize what we've just done? Sometimes we talk about the five acts of worship. We just talked about each one of the five acts of worship. And you know what's common about every one of those five acts of worship? They need to be done from the heart. And if they're not, they're not right. And going back to what Malachi, the prophet, said on behalf of God, if they're not from the heart, they're not acceptable to God. And so we need to prepare ourselves And we need to participate in the worship. Finally, let me suggest to you, we need to put into practice the things that we have learned, the things that we have studied. We need to go away from the worship refreshed, edified, but also with a renewed commitment to serve God faithfully. We need to put into practice the things that we've talked about uh, as we've joined together in worship in James Chapter 1, James says there's really no value otherwise. If we don't put it into practice, and we don't take it to heart, and then live it, it's of no value. Remember James 1 verse 22 beginning, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a, unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For behold, for he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Who's blessed in his deed? Who's blessed? The one who does not forget what he hears, and he does it. He puts it into practice. This is the man who is blessed. And we will be blessed. When we've come together for worship, if we take what we've learned, if we take what we've participated in, And we live it in our lives as we leave this place of worship. What do you do when church is boring? Well, if church is boring, you've got a problem. And the problem isn't addressed by whipping this up into some kind of an emotional frenzy. The the problem is not addressed by changing the pattern clearly set forth in the Word of God. If church is boring, it's a heart problem. And you need to address that. Thanks for your good attention to what we've had to say, and hope that it's helpful. We're going to end the lesson with a song of invitation, and in doing so, we'll ask everybody to think about your relationship with God, make sure it's right. If you're not a Christian yet, you need to obey that simple gospel plan of salvation. We were so happy Wednesday night to see David Toombs obey the gospel and be baptized into Christ. It was, it was such a, a joyful time for us. I learned also this past week that the Callahan's grandson was baptized, uh, and we, we rejoiced with them. And knowing that their grandson was baptized, it's the most important decision of life. There is no other decision so important as that. If you're not a Christian, but you understand that simple plan of salvation, hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, we hope you'll make that decision without delay. If you need more information, more study, just say so. We'd be glad to study with you. If you're a Christian already, but you've fallen away from faithfully serving the Lord, we urge you to come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing.